0: PIM data exporter that's what is first in my list today and it's a data exporter for the personal information management system of the KDE Plasma desktop this includes the address book uh, emails calendar events and all of that stuff you can you can, this is a GUI application so if you type in PIM into your KDE uh, menu your application launcher you'll PIM Data Exporter comes up and it opens a relatively empty and simple window labeled PIM Data Exporter File Tools Setting and Help two buttons Export Data and Import Data, that's it those are your two choices and that that really is it like you can look through the File menu you can look through the Tools menu not much to see here it's a pretty simple straightforward little GUI application now if you try to export data it warns you that you have to quit all of your PIM applications, which I find a little bit confusing. I mean, like, if you're just a normal user or, you know, me, uh, how do you know what, what what counts as a PIM application? Like, do I have to quit just contact? Am I running Aggregator right now? I see an RSS logo up in the upper right corner of in my little system tray, so does that count? Do I need to close that? How do I stop all of my PIM applications? So I'm assuming it can't be vital that you stop all PIM because it's just a, a click OK or cancel kind of... Choice and I'm assuming that if it was detrimental for you to be running something secretly in the background, it would force you to quit that. It would quit it for you. I would hope. So PIM Data Exporter. That's that's the application. If you look at var log packages PIM PIM Data Exporter, you see that it it, it ships with PIM Data Exporter and PIM Data Exporter Console and a bunch of documentation and somewhere in there is a library called .so probably. And let's see if I know what pimdataexporter data exporter console does. Okay so as expected, it is a command uh, to import or export. So it's the it's it's the text-based version of the GUI. So there's not a whole much a whole whole, whole lot to say about this really. I mean, I've just described it pretty straightforward. On a whim, I I decided to actually look at the source code because I thought maybe there'll be something of special interest within the source code. And I was really, really happy with how actually pretty... I I, I feel like as accessible as modern source code can be, I feel like this is pretty darned accessible. And, And by accessible in this context, I mean how do you find it? how do you navigate around within it and so on I remember I've I've I had looked at I've looked at KDE source code several times in the past long long time ago I was helping out with the bug bug triage uh, in the KDE project, so I ended up having to kind of delve into source code some for that, just to kind of see if certain bugs were applicable to what they were, you know, to a specific version or something like that. So so that was a thing. And then later I, I was trying to compile KDE. I don't believe... Yeah, I never got that... Yeah, I never got that done. That, that was too big of a job for, for really anybody. I just ended up using alien Bob's packages much much, much easier so um, but I but still you know I, I did try and then and then've I've kind of looked at at, at the source code of, of various parts of KDE over the years as well so've I've interacted on a, a surface maybe a little bit maybe under the surface level uh, but just under the surface level from time to time and it's gotten a lot better. It used to be a, a, a maze of seemingly unconnected Git repositories pretty much in a centralized location. I mean, you could, I mean, I know Git is decentralized, but I'm, I'm saying from, from from approaching it from the outside, like there was one place to go. I don't remember what it was at the time. I don't think it was invent.kde.org at the time. I could be misremembering. But, you know, there was a place that you could go and you could find the source code. You could find all the different repositories. It was just... I felt like it was a little bit overwhelming, conceptually. Like, which repository do I need to... to clone? Like, where do I start? Now, I'm not saying that that's gotten any better, actually. If you go to invent.kde.org, that's their instance of... I'm assuming it's GitLab. I didn't actually look at what... I mean, it's gotta be. It's gotta be GitLab. It just looks too much like GitLab. Oh, it is. It says right there, search GitLab. Okay so that's their 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 own uh you know local or or you know personal uh, install of of gitlab that they're running all of their git repositories within and 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 it, i mean functionally that's the same as what 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 we've always had a, a bunch of repositories in a centralized l- location that you can go to and they're basically all completely unconnected i mean unconnected in the sense that like if if i wanted to make a change to uh, I don't know, dolphin there is a change to Dolphin I've been been toying around with in the back of my mind for, for years now. So if I wanted to make a little change to Dolphin, how would I do that? Go to invent.kde.org, find the original sort of main repository for, for Dolphin, clone that, look at the source code, build it, and run it? Can I do that on 25th anniversary edition of KDE? Whatever this KDE is called, 5.25 or whatever? I mean, is that even... Would that work? Will it yell at me? Tell me that I'm running it on the wrong version. How? How do you? Where do you? Wh- what's the? Where's? Where do you start? And I, I think that's uh, one of the great mysteries of 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 development and programming. It's just it seems like there's. There's no easy, and there's no obvious front door. I mean, there's, you see the building, and you just can't quite figure out how it all fits together, how how you go in and how do you get to that to that floor that you see from the outside. You know where you want to go, but once you're inside, you just can't figure out how to get there. But I, I mean, to be clear, I'm not saying this is a KDE problem. I'm saying modern programming, modern, the way that code is, is assembled and stored and fits together, can be really confusing. And I don't know that there's a better way for this to work. I mean, computers are really, really com- complex. So I'm not saying that this is, like, something that we need to change. I'm, I am I am saying that I think in the future, at some point, I don't know, I, I feel like if we were advanced as we say we are, then this wouldn't be so complex in a, in a weird way. I mean, it would be complex, but somehow it would be structured in a way that, that sort of is super obvious like even if you go to PIM data exporter and and look at the code which i encourage you to do if you're at all um interested in what PIM data exporter uses to make itself work um, if you go there i mean you know like in a way, like, wh- where do you start even looking at the code? Like, it's so difficult to sort of, sort of even know where to go. You could... I, I don't know. Should you look at .txt? That that feels like a good entry point. Because I, I know cmake sort of makes things go. It makes everything... You, you build it with cmake, I know that, so maybe that would be the right place. Oh, no, this is just a seemingly random list of... of includes and and library name or function names or something so okay well how about if we just go to core that looks that looks significant bunch of bunch of code bunch of subdirectories here and nothing's ever you know there's there's no there's no thing that says like start here Uh, I don't even know if core is the correct place maybe it would be GUI. maybe that would be the place so you get what I'm saying maybe maybe you get what I'm saying what I'm saying is that it is complex um for the record, if you go to the GUI directory, you'll find main CPP, which I guess is a good starting place. I'd love to hear from other people who who write and look at code sort of where their default starting point is because like what what I've learned over the over the years is that source code is a little bit uh, like a, a more like a book than a movie. If, if, if you take my meaning, you when you approach source code, you, you have to sit down with it and kind of study it. You have to get familiar with it because this is, I mean, sometimes you can just zero in on exactly what the problem is. Like if, if you've experienced a bug and there's a useful bug m- message and you can grep through the source code for that exact Error message. Then you can probably track down what caused that error message, and and maybe you can figure out what's gone wrong. Or, or maybe you've gotten some output like a dump of of some some logging information from from the application after something has gone wrong. Then you could find that and and possibly correct that error and i've done that before i've absolutely done that it 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 can be relatively simple but sometimes you don't know you you don't know what you you know you have a feature in mind so you're not hunting for a problem you're hunting for the pla- the best place to put a thing that you that, that doesn't exist yet. Um, so, you, you kind of have to study it. It, it. It's a little bit of getting used to where everything is stored, what refers to, what, what refers back to what, what file is sort of, like, being called by another file. I mean, not exactly a file, because, of course, none of these files are being called. They're all going to be compiled down, and, and combined, and merged, and put into binary, and so on. So, you do have to kind of get used to the lay of the land and that's just part of the that's part of the familiarization it's it's just part of the process of of getting to know the thing before you go in and try to rearrange all of its bits and bobs okay so anyway that's PIM data exporter, for whatever that's worth. I don't know how much that is worth, because that wasn't a whole lot. But it, it does. It imports and exports data from your PIM service. Not not a whole lot to see there. Um, I mean, there is a lot to see. Go look at the source code. You'll see all of the, the things that it does. And it is fascinating to see, uh, for the GUI version of it, how much, you know, Q this, Q that, versus K that, Q this. So that's that's kind of cool to just see the interaction between KDE framework and cute itself. Next up is Pim Civ Script. This is a no PIM Civ editor, sorry. Uh, and it is literally an editor for, for Civ scripts. Civ what Civ scripts are a it's a Civ if you go to S i e v e dot info you'll learn that civ is a scripting language for sorting email and it's a it's a little bit funny because um it it isn't i think email filters are hard and you know and and it's it's where do these filters get applied how do they how do they get triggered that sort of thing and and ultimately the the good ones the, the best ones the ones that i guess most people really use happen on the server, not on your client. So, I mean, Kmail has filters that you can apply to messages, but it's it's very much a post-processing thing. You you apply it to your your inbox once the m- messages have come into your inbox. And you can you can select a message and apply your filters to it, and it'll check various fields for. V- Whatever value you have d- defined, and then it'll take some action on it. If you want that to happen before your client, though, it, it obviously has to happen somewhere, and in, in, in a server and client interaction. If it's not happening on the client, then it's happening on the server, and that's where CIV scripts would would occur. That means that you have to have a CIV compatible mail server that you're interacting with, and and several do. Dovecot, I think, has a plugin for it. Uh, I think Sendmail does. I could be mistaken about that. I couldn't really find a great list of everything, you know, that's compatible. Like, it, it's, I mean, there is a list on civ.info, actually, but a lot of the, the ones that they list are, aren't even, um, Aren't around anymore. So, and then none of them are marked as to whether they're open source or not. So you have to kind of click on all of them to to figure out whether it's something that you would even consider running and so on. Uh, Citadel actually, the groupware one has sieve uh, compatibility apparently. But anyway, Civ scripts you you can create them. You can put them onto your your mail server and. Uh, organize your email before it ever hits your inbox. That's nice. That's a cool, cool feature. I don't know how easy it is for 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 most of people to to implement this because I mean it it's it's going to happen realistically. I mean it can happen elsewhere but PIM Civ Editor if you if you take a look at it type in civ there yep there it is civ editor um it, it does kind of assume that you're doing it on a server so you you can conf- click the configure button when the GUI pops up and and it asks you what what your civ server is and you can click add but then you need your you need a civ server and if you don't have that then you don't you don't get to use the civ scripts, like, that. that's your choice. You can run it on a server and interface with that server, or you cannot use the PIM Civ Editor. I don't have a server that's compatible, I don't have a mail server that has civ integration, so I don't, I'm not, I haven't done that. Um, civ.info, by the way, is using doc DocuWiki, though, that's cool. That's a great, great wiki um, server, actually. But anyway, um, there. I mean, I've I've been playing around with the idea of setting up a mail server for myself, and it really has everything to do with reliable infrastructure or the lack thereof currently. So you know, it 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 may happen. It may not happen anytime soon. I don't know. Um, I, I definitely need better sort of a better setup for for something that. That I expect to be running all the time for a long time. So it, it hasn't happened yet. In other words, it may happen eventually, but it it, it hasn't happened right now. Um, Pimsiv editor, though, if you are using you know uh, Citadel or Dovecot or something that that has. A CIV, uh, a CIV uh, plugin or integration, then, then this could be useful. You could add your server to it. You could create your CIV scripts. You could sort your email on the server. PIM common is next, and it includes common libraries for KDE PIM. So looking really quick at, let's see, most var log packages PIM common. We're looking at things like uh, some KDE Framework 5 PIM Common, um, header files, and I think that is it. Yeah, header files and CMake files. Um, and so this is stuff like Mail Utility, LDAP Search Dialog, that would be important if you were interfacing with an LDAP server. Uh, address, uh, C Line Edit, Annotation Dialog, Checked Collection. So these are common little widgets really or 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 subsystems you know depending on what you think about them i guess um but yeah the common let's call them widgets the common widgets for 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 all the applications within PIM. so for instance ldap search i mean you could use an ldap search probably if you were um writing an email to someone at your or at your organization they have an ldap entry start typing their name it pops up in your in your autocomplete but you could also use that when you're creating a calendar uh, to invite them to a meeting you want to be able to find them again within LDAP quickly by just searching for their name so it doesn't just apply to one component of PIM. It it applies to lots of components of PIM. That that's so important because I mean, as I've said many times before, it just saves the developers a lot of time. But I think even more importantly, it it means that improvements and fixes can be made in one place, and there's just no way to understate that. That is vital because if you've got if you've got um, just a simple dialog box. And, and, and it happens in more than one place, then the minute someone notices a minor typo in in one dialog box, well, if, 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 you've, if you've got that code living in lots of different places, then you have lots of different places to go fix that typo. If it's in one place, like a common repository, then it's, it's one change and it, it gets fixed everywhere not instantly obviously the next next time everyone pulls the code and compiles it then it happens but but that's a lot better than than having to fix it all over the place and then forgetting that one place that you just you don't really use it so you've just forgot that it even uses that component and so that never even gets fixed and so on it, it, i've seen it in action it's horrible um, really really identifying redundancy and and simmering it down they're just one instance it's really really important so let's talk about plasma browser integration this is a really cool package I don't know I wonder where it comes from I guess from probably yeah it must be from kDE and and stuff so plasma browser integration is a browser um well it, it is a a receptor to, to browsers that have the browser integration plugin installed or the extension, whatever they're called in browsers, browser extensions, I guess, yeah, uh, or plugins, I guess both. Um, I use Firefox, don't want to go near Chrome. So um, I use Firefox, and Firefox is a, a quote unquote third party application, at least from the perspective of the KDE Plasma desktop. The KDE Plasma desktop technically has a browser or to, and, and 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 those browsers are can be tightly coupled to the rest of plasma desktop because that's part of the part of the package firefox doesn't really know about plasma desktop and plasma desktop in turn doesn't really know about firefox and that's fair it's fine they're not developed by the same group of people there's no reason for them to be tightly coupled in any way and that's why things like this exist, Plasma Browser Integration. What does it provide then? So, first of all, in your browser you have to install the, the Plasma uh, extension, like the the thing. It, I don't believe it came pre-installed. No, of course not. I'm not using... yeah. So I download Firefox uh, from Mozilla and put it into Opt. That's just how I, I keep it up to date. Um, yeah, I've got a script that does that. So I, I'm not using a package from Slackware. I'm not using a package from from anywhere. I'm just i literally just using the builds off of Mozilla. So I've installed the Plasma browser, but, Plasma integration Firefox extension, that is utilized by the Plasma browser integration system here on my Plasma uh, desktop. What it provides include media controls, so I can uh, go up to my little media controller widget over in my system tray and see if something in Firefox is playing. And I can pause it, or I can skip to the next track, I guess, if it was like a playlist, probably. I don't think I've ever played anything with a playlist in a a Firefox browser, so I, I don't know for sure, but that's what I'm imagining. But I've definitely played stuff within Firefox, and I have definitely seen it in the media controller Plasmoid. You can also send links through KDE Connect, so if you're on a page that you... You particularly like you can right click on it, go over to share, and send your send that link to your phone or something like that, or to or to you know to to any application really that that plasma browser that plasma desktop is um, aware of. Show and control downloads from your plasma's notification area. This is the the I use this daily nonstop. I mean, this is something that I uh, at work I am very frequently downloading documents from the internet, and I save it to um, a point on my hard drive. It's, well, not on my hard drive. It's a RAM disk that I mount uh, at boot. I put these temporary documents there, and and so I, I download them, and then and then it pops up in my in the upper right corner of my Plasma desktop that I've just downloaded a file. What would I like to do with it? And you can click a button right there, and it, it, it looks at the extension of the file and figures out the most logical thing that it sh- thinks it should open with based on, of course, what you've told it about that file type. So if it's a .odt, I'll click, and it'll open in LibreOffice. That easy. If it's a .md or .txt or .txt, cpp or java whatever click opens up in emacs um and so on and it's just so nice it's so easy i i use it like really all the time and and you, there's a button next to the open button where you can you can just say open with different application or you know, send it somewhere else you know there, there's like you, you have all the options and it just pops up and it's just so useful I don't know that I would, if my workflow at work didn't involve downloading files on a daily basis, I don't think I would be that, I, w- I wouldn't care, care one way or the other. Because you have, you have a, or you can have, I have, a download button, like a download, sort of a history of your downloads, uh, a button right there in your in the Firefox toolbar. So there doesn't really seem to be really any need for a pop-up alert that hey you just downloaded something yeah i know i just downloaded something i i downloaded it but in for for this workflow it has absolutely been it's just it makes my life so much more pleasant it's really great uh you can also um find browser tabs and look through your browser history in krunner because of this i've never done that i'll probably i should never i, I should not say never right because I, I do all kinds of things on computers that surprise me. I don't anticipate doing this anytime soon. I, I, in fact, frankly, when I see browser information in KRunner, it really makes me irrationally irritated. I, I get very annoyed by it because I just think, why would anyone ever want that? But one day, I'll probably fall in love with it. Or maybe not. But someone out there already is in love with it. Like, that's probably the best thing ever. So that's what this browser extension gets you. And and as I say, there's it's Plasma Browser integration, and it is, it, it's compatible. You can install an extension in Firefox, in Chrome, in Chromium, and even Microsoft Edge, apparently. So which I think I mean, honestly, isn't basically every browser chromium based at this point, aside from Firefox. So I, I have a feeling that if you are running a browser, then you can probably install the extension from whatever extension um, you know store or or whatever repo You get extensions from, you can probably get the Plasma integration one and install it and have it sort of work, sort of really feel like a native uh, browser, I I would say. All right, let's go get a cup of coffee. Then we'll come back and we'll talk about the Plasma desktop. Not a big topic at all. back. We've got coffee, and it starts with a K. We're talking about the KDE, which is a group of people, not a software. KDE Plasma, that's the software, desktop. And when I th- saw that this was on the list for this week, I I kind of expected, I, I figured there'd be two things that would happen. I would, I would look at the package list, and there'd be one thing, and it would just be like, Plasma Desktop. Or, I would look at the package list, and it would be 50 things. You know, like, a binary for sort of, like, every possible component of of the Plasma desktop or something. I was wrong in both cases. There are, uh, well, certainly more than one thing, but a lot less than 50. And none of them at all is what I would have expected. So, there, first of all, there is the, the, there's, you know, the usual assortment of of documentation and little helper scripts. Like an auto-start script for something called k-access, which is probably pretty important k a- access.desktop and that's in Etsy, which is how I'm going to say etc today uh, and this is the accessibility uh, auto starter to to ensure that accessibility subsystem has is available automatically when the desktop starts so that is important cuz if you need it you kind of want to have it active. So that that comes in this package. And then there's the, um, in the user bin directory, th- there's this odd assortment of little things that m- many of which I n- had no idea even existed. It was starting with the first one, iBus-UI-Emojier-Plasma. I thought, what could that possibly be? Because, I mean, if, if you... If you open up an application, like, I'll go to, I don't know, kWrite, and do, like, um, colon smile, was it smile, or, 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 well, colon plus one, colon, that should be an emoji, right? Like, I think that's, that's the emoji notation. Uh, but that, and nothing, like, pops up, for instance, like, nothing appears and says it looks like you're typing an emoji um but if i go to the kde application menu and type in emoji there's an emoji selector press return emoji selector there's like literally an emoji selector here in kde plasma desktop um that i never knew existed it's just built in it's just like what you would see in any any given um, application or online uh, sort of auto-complete type thing. You know, it's there's a search bar along the top and categories of emoji along the left. So if you know that you want, for instance, what's this one? Activities, you can click on activities and kind of scroll through them and see what you have to choose from. Here's food and drink. There's a bunch of foods and drinks. There's pancakes. That's good. Is there coffee? Well, actually, I don't know if there's coffee. Let's find out. So I'll go up to the search function here on the upper uh, on the left side and type in coffee and it looks like oh that's so weird but c-o-f-f brings up coffin c-o-f-f-e brings up nothing c-o-f-f-e-e brings up a a teacup of coffee i say teacup that's not really like a mug it's like that's a proper like yeah teacup but i guess it's a coffee cup technically what does tea bring up then? Same thing. That looks suspiciously like the same... Oh, it's not coffee, it's hot beverage. That's... Okay, there you go. That's why. So anyway, it's an emoji selector. And once you've found the one that you like, then you can click on it, it it alerts you that it's been copied to the clipboard, and then you can go to some uh, application, like KWrite, Control V, pastes the emoji into your document. And you can do that with anything. I mean, I could do that uh, here's the signal. Signal uh, messenger. Uh, I don't actually want to message anyone a cup of coffee right now, but I could paste it in. And then if I were to press return, it would it would message people. So yeah, really really simple, straightforward emoji selector that you never knew you had, just built into your desktop. It's right there. I I don't know why. Like I, I can't, I'm trying to think of the way that one would want that. To be triggered, you know, like I, I don't know. I think I get the the impression that people who use emoji use emoji a lot, and people who don't use emoji don't use emoji. And I don't use emoji, so it's hard for me to like. I don't know. I I guess maybe if that little pop-up selector, if if that plasma emojier like was was integrated more i mean i wouldn't want that but let's say that it was or maybe it was an option then maybe i would use emoji i don't know why i would though but i mean you know you like i could see maybe i don't know not really um anyway that's cool, though. I mean, it's right there. It's really nice. I, I that's one of those things because emoji is still pretty popular, I feel like that sort of thing should be built into all Linux desktops, at least as an option. And I think there should be something a little bit easier, you know, to make that sort of pop up. I mean, I guess you could I guess you could just arbitrarily assign it an f key or something, you know, and just just go to go to settings and say, when I click, You know this this F key then bring up the emoji you launch that emoji selector I guess that would that would work. It is interesting though that that exists and you do kind of I wonder about Sort of what what that what the intended use of that is Maybe there's not an intended use. Maybe it's just it's a search function for for emoji to copy it to your clipboard Okay, so k access is also here. It's listed here um I don't think that that's a GUI application. Yeah, that's not. It's just, it's a thing that's running. As I said, there's an auto start uh, thing for that, so that's just there. Um, I've been pretty pleased with the accessibility options on KDE from a very, very far away view. For instance, I use the, um, the, the zoom function a lot, um, because when I'm showing someone something, on my computer, like at work or something, or, or in a tech talk, then very frequently I want to be able to zoom in on a thing and and kind of highlight that. Like when I say, you know, click on this button, I want to be able to zoom in on, on the button that I am clicking so that they can see that very clearly. Uh, and, and I just have that bound to F... What is this? F6... F7. F7 and F8. F8. Zoom in. F... Uh, seven zooms out and it's just it it works really really quickly now i'm i know you know accessibility a huge that's just such a huge topic because there's different kinds of accessibility. And what one person considers improving accessibility, someone else may either not see the point or frankly, it it may not improve anything for them. So it really just depends on what what your requirements are. Um, and, And it's one of those, I feel like you know it when it's bad because you're using it and trying to you know i mean it's like any other interface right i mean it's just when when someone's designing it it might seem perfectly perfectly logical to have that button there instead of over there and then once you start using it and putting it to the test then you realize oh my gosh that button is so far away relative to the where to where the person's mouse normally is or oh my gosh, that button is not obvious, or or maybe a person's using it in a non-obvious way, such that that button doesn't make sense over there for them, but it makes sense over th- to be over there for everyone else. And, and that's part of accessibility, but I mean, you know, also, yeah, like I say, zooming in so that you can actually see something that might be too small, uh, because you don't have your glasses on or something, or maybe you need text read to you. You know, all of these options are obviously important accessibility things. Having that subsystem running in the background is really good. I think it's not terribly obvious where you access that stuff. If you go to System Settings and look for, I don't know, Accessibility. There's the Accessibility panel, and there's lots of good stuff in there. I mean, there's a screen reader integration. Like, you can turn, well, you can... On Slackware, it doesn't much matter because you don't have Orca installed by default, but if, if you... If you had orca installed then you could go to screen reader enable screen reader and then it would it would find your orca installation and 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 start running that uh there's modifier keys keyboard filters mouse navigation different kinds of bells do you want an audible bell or do you want a visual bell or, or neither and so on so good good options i just i'm of the opinion that especially for accessibility, I just, I think there should be this sort of universal accessibility icon in the, the system tray, basically by default all the time, with the option, obviously, to, to, to deactivate it. If you just absolutely don't ever need that as a person, then you could, you could get rid of that. But it should be on by default, in my opinion. Anyway, k-access is on by default, I mean, it, it has the auto start option, so it's ready to go. You just have to find it, and I think that's that's maybe the the one weak point of it. Then there's k apply mouse theme. A lot of these, I, I frankly I I can't tell what they do because they don't have any documentation. And uh, in order to figure out what they do, you, you just have to look at the uh, you have to look at the source code uh, because you you can try to launch them with the dash dash help, but it's just the standard sort of cute uh sort of help. So for instance, if I do uh, k apply Okay, apply, mouse theme, dash dash, help. Oh, actually, that doesn't even have anything. That's got no help whatsoever. So, I'm assuming it applies a mouse theme. I don't know why it's a binary on its own. You'd think it would be just kind of like a function within system settings, but for whatever reason, it's not. It's here. It's its own thing. And That's that's interesting, I guess. I do kind of wonder if it's got something to do with frequency, like if, if it has to apply a mouse theme maybe, for instance, after you come back out of a Steam game or something that has changed your mouse theme. Uh, some video games do that. You know, you launch the video game and your mouse theme changes within the game to be thematic to that game. But I mean, I don't, I don't really feel like that's actually has that actually changed your mouse theme because it's not like if you had it in a window and you, you went, you know, you took your mouse out of the game window back over to your. But maybe that's what c- c- apply mouse theme does. I don't know. Whatever it does, it's there. KCM Touchpad List Devices, that's a laptop thing, lists your touchpad devices. Useful if if you're uh, trying to, you know, set up a a specific touchpad for specific features. Uh, And I guess, you know, there are touchpads that you can attach separately too, there is that. Okay, KNet Attach, that finds a network to attach to. KRunner Plugin Installer, installs little plugins for KRunner. KRunner is great, it's really fun. I don't use it as much as I used to, I don't know why. I mean, I do know why the KDE application menu has gotten really, really good, and and it's kind of taken the place of KRunner. Uh, KRunner used to be my primary interface for the KDE Plasma desktop, I, or, or rather for you know launching applications and really doing lots of different things because KRunner can do a lot of different things. And that's why this plugin installer is important. Uh, I imagine for developers it's probably even more important because they're uh, going to presumably be installing plugins. I mean, I never have grabbed a KRunner plugin from the internet and installed it. You know, I've never done that. So, I mean, it's probably possible. I don't know how many people are making KRunner plugins. But I'm assuming that what's happening here is that a developer is theoretically developing a krunner plugin and uses this to install it quickly on their local machine. Solid action desktop gen. That that's a a funny one. Um I I had to look that up a lot. So first of all, solid is the layer in the KDE framework that deals with physical devices, like it's solid, like it it's 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 dealing with peripherals, things that you're attaching to your computer and that it has to to talk to. So uh, the best I can figure th- is that this this desktop file generator thing probably s- scans through a, a, a case service that uh, has defined as its target something within Solid's purview. And then it gets processed by this. I mean I, I when I was looking into this one I, I decided to look at exactly one source code. Like I, I looked at one file, it was only about seventy lines of code and it had a bunch of references to solid mostly and, and to K services. So I I don't know. I figure from from that I didn't you know, didn't investigate all that much, but from what I can tell, it's, it's got stuff to do with, well, desktop files, as as the name does imply, Solid Action Desktop Gen. I'm not exactly sure about when the gen part comes in. Like, when is it generating this? Is this when KDE Desktop, Plasma Desktop, starts? Or is it something on, that happens on demand? Is it something when, when you have added a K-Service to a menu that... That, that reference is solid? Does does this get invoked? Who knows? I don't know. And then the, the final one is, um, I don't know how to say it, taste and breath? Tast and breath? Um, it's user bin Tast and breath. And if you do a dash H on that, you get a standard help message telling you that you are able to uh, display help with the dash H or dash dash help. You can get the author and the license, that sort of thing. Um, but it does have a couple of references about a model, a layout, a variant, and then options. And to me, that sounds an awful lot like keyboard options. And sure enough, if you type in Tastenbrett into your uh, console or into your terminal, uh, it pops up a keyboard preview. It shows you your keyboard layout pretty, pretty pretty much correctly. Um, It's kind of weird, there are some, I mean, it it has correctly detected that I am using a QWERTY, uh, not a QWERTY, a Dvorak layout. Um, But there are missing glyphs, and I don't know why there would be missing glyphs on this thing. So, that was surprising to me. But everything else seemed pretty reasonable. It, um, it figured out, like, everything that I had, um, including, like, where the LED lights were located on my keyboard. And I don't know if that's just the standard, I mean, I, I only have one keyboard right now, so I, I don't have anything to compare it to. So maybe that's just the standard layout for this thing, but it, to me, it seems like it it's picking up the exact layout that I have. Um, but I, I, I could I could be wrong. I don't know. So anyway, that's that's tossed in but I mean one, one thing that it doesn't, I guess, acknowledge is that my caps lock isn't a caps lock, that it's actually a control key. Um but again, maybe it's just telling me like my physical keyboard layout is is exactly this. And it is correct. Like it, it knows it, it's got everything correct. Like you the the, the location of of the control and the super key. Oh wait a minute, no, no, the super key, actually it's got a mistake on here. It is showing as a super right, what is actually an FN key. So that's interesting. Oh, but it does, it sees that my right alt is being used as a multi key rather than an alt right. Yeah, that's fascinating, fascinating. Um, anyway, that's what Tostin Brett does. And I guess if you wanna see your keyboard layout, type that into the into your terminal and and witness the thing that you're already witnessing in front of you. So that's the I mean that's the technical inc- that's that's what plasma desktop has in it. Believe it or not, that's what plasma desktop package contains. So n- no no mention of things like I don't know Kwin or K or, or Dolphin or, or 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 plasma desktop plasma-desktop I think that's the command right? No, I guess that's wrong. I didn't Uh, it's plasma, plasma shell. There's no plasma shell here. There's no plasma dash apply dash desktop theme. There's no plasma dash shutdown all of the things that I kind of had expected to be in that package, which for all I know, maybe I've already covered these, I don't know, um, they weren't there. It was it was a bunch of weird utility applications. And I say weird, not pejoratively, they're just surprising, you know, little utilities that I wouldn't have expected to be in a package called Plasma Desktop, because that just sounds like that's the desktop. And, and Plasma Desktop is representative of kde when 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 you think of kde quite possibly you're thinking about the desktop itself you're, you're thinking about the thing that you're interfacing with when you turn on your computer and you want to do something that, that requires visual interaction that's the desktop and that's what plasma desktop conceptually represents how it gets divided into packages is obviously you know different like there's there are there are Reasons for it all, I'm sure. Reasons that I may never fully understand, because, uh, I mean, un- until I become a Plasma Desktop developer myself, it, it probably, you know, it- it, there's no reason for it to make sense. Um, I mean, maybe it should make sense, maybe there's an argument that it should make sense, but that's Plasma Desktop package, bunch of utilities, just the little things that need to happen, probably, when you start plasma or some of the things that needed to happen when you start plasma desktop some of those things are in here some some odd utilities like showing your own keyboard they're here as well the next package is plasma-disks and this again kind of a surprising little package that doesn't have as much as you might think it would have but um it's a package that uh, mostly contains uh, a k service called smart status which is really really nice so if you um If you have a dolphin window... Oh, I don't have a side panel on my dolphin window, I forgot. Um, yeah, that's too hard. Anyway, on dolphin, there's some, some, for some people, you might have a side panel, it might show your your devices, your disks, your disk drives. You can uh, right-click on that and get your smart status. Now, you don't have to have that. I mean, that's a convenience function. There is a smart status application within the Plasma desktop. If you go to the KDE application menu and type in smart then it comes up smart status info it's part of info center apparently i didn't even realize that uh you go to a a device a, a a a disk drive and go no actually you don't sorry you go to devices in in k info center um and then into smart status and it lists all of the devices and it tells you what the smart status is for each each drive so for instance here's one dev sdc says the smart firmware is not reporting a failure but there are early signs of malfunction this might not point at imminent device failure but requires long-term analysis it it advises to to back up dev sdc which that's fine if it's already backed up um it's that's not not an essential disk actually i'm i'm fine for that to fail at some point i'm almost waiting for it to happen actually um so yeah there's there's different different uh sort of levels of of status i mean the one that you want to see is the one that i see mostly here which is this device appears to be working as expected that's good that's what i want um but yeah keep an eye on that i mean that's that's this is where you get that now I think, in my in my ideal scenario, this would not be something that you had to go look for. This would be something that you would get an alert. I th- I think there's an argument against that, but I think there's a strong argument that by default, it should be set to warn you. That's what I want, honestly. That's really, really, really what I want. Um, and it doesn't do that, and I don't know how to make it do it. As far as I can tell, there is no way to do that. Um. I, I think that would be really, really nice though. and I'm sure there's some way to do it, but I'm just saying within the KDE Plasma desktop, I think it would be fantastic if by default you got a warning, a notification, when a device was re- reporting anything but this device appears to be working as expected. But that doesn't seem to... And then you could come here and like tell it to, to never warn you again or something. Like that would be fine. But I think by default it should be warning. It sh- there should be an upfront notification, I, I would think. anyway. That's smart status and the the ability to right click on a device out on your desktop and see those and 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 go to smart status. That's a a K service in the plasma dash disks package. There's other stuff in there, but not much. It's like documentation files and stuff like that. Primarily, it's a K service to point back to K Info Center. Okay, finally, let's talk about plasma dash. Firewall, and I say finally, not like oh, finally we we get to talk about this. I'm saying finally, like this is the last thing we're going to talk about in this episode. Uh, f- and it's going to be quick because it doesn't work. Fire, fire, um, plasma. No, yeah, plasma dash firewall. It's a KCM K config module module, and it it's so it's part of the system settings. If you go to system settings and search for firewall, it comes up, or just go to KDE application, go to firewall. And that'll pop up It's kind of like a standalone little application. Now the problem is, well, the problem's twofold, I guess. One is that you don't have a firewall installed. Uh, you might, but not one that this module recognizes. So you might have, for instance, what is it, IP tables now? Or is it net, net, um, what is it, net, um, net something, the, the net one, um, net, net. Net ta- in NFT, net filter, net filter table, or something like that. Yeah. So, anyway, you might have um, IP tables or you might have something else installed, but uh, it doesn't know th- this firewall configurator um, doesn't know that, doesn't recognize that. It recognizes UFW or firewall D. Now, I don't actually have that much. Maybe I should try ufw really quick. So if I do sudo sbo find ufw, does that come up with anything? Yes, it does. It does know what ufw is, so I could do sbo install sudo ufw. Uh, let's, yeah, let's, let's let that happen. So I'm installing ufw right now, um, because maybe, maybe I can actually get this to work. Earlier, it wasn't working for a reason that I will reveal momentarily. Alright, relaunching firewall. Here it goes. It is enabled. Oh, it does work with UFW. Okay, that's cool. That's very cool. Well, score 1.4 UFW. So anyway, this is on my desktop computer, right? So this, it, my desktop doesn't leave my house. Like it, it's, it's here, it's at my desk, this is where it exists. So I don't have a firewall running on this on this computer. Um, if I had it on a laptop, I would... Uh, because it's behind, like, my home router and, and so on, so I don't feel uh, any any need whatsoever to have a firewall on it. If I had it on a laptop, Slackware laptop, and went out, then I would have a firewall running, obviously. And historically, for me, that was just IP tables. Not that I like IP tables, I actually hate IP tables, but that's what Slackware had. And so I would use a script by Alien Bob to come up with a reasonable starter firewall and then open up ports as required from there. So, that's what I did up until, I think, think Slackware 15. Um, well, no, 14. Well, yeah, 14, I guess. 14.2, at least. Uh, anyway, um, that's what I did. Now there's a firewall configurator. Maybe there always was, I don't know, but, but, this one caught my eye because I'm going through every package on Slackware. This one exists in system settings now, and it has the apparent ability to interface with either UFW or FireWall-D. FireWall-D is the one that I had experience with. That's what I use at work, for instance. Uh, and Or rather, that's what runs at work, and I interact with it with FireWall-CMD. Love it, love it. Like, it's great, great interface. Um, lots of options for the the FireWall-CMD. Arguably, maybe, maybe a problem with how many options there are. But, I mean, ultimately, you know, that's going to be a problem with commands. That's, that's the problem with commands, is that you, you have to know the syntax of the options and where to find the options. And if there are lots of options, then there has to be a good way to discover them. That's just kind of the interface problem that that a terminal has. So that's typical. That's n- nothing new. It's a great, great firewall com- uh, command, really. Like, it's just so easy. You want to add... A service, you just add dash service and then the name of the service. Now, obviously, there have to there has to be a definition for that service, but all the common ones are already there. Or you can just add a port and, and just literally just tell it what port and what protocol to open up, and then. If you want it to be permanent, add dash dash permanent. You're done. So anyway, I kind of default in my head to firewall D. Nothing against UFW. I just don't have any. Con- I don't have any experience with it. Um, and firewall D and this firewall configuration panel, they don't work together. Uh, well, they would work together on Slackware. They don't work together because if you install firewall D on Slackware and you open up this configuration panel and you click enable. To, to to firewall status enabled, it gives you an error that it can't find system D. Says the person who always says on his show, "I have no problem with system D. Doesn't doesn't affect me." Um, well, there you go. Firewall D system settings module for KCM firewall not compatible because of a missing systemd file. So now I hate systemd, it's official. Um, so, install ufw apparently, because I just did, and, and that works, which is quite refreshing. Um, so yeah, you can turn on the firewall, enable it, and then you've got default incoming policy, default outgoing policy, so incoming is ignore by default, outgoing is allow by default, but of course you can add policies as well. So there's a button down in the lower right corner for adding Uh, adding a rule, and then you can set a policy of allow or reject or ignore. I'll say allow for a moment, and we'll say that it's going to be an incoming uh, IP4 from any IP address uh, at a specific port. Let's do, um, you know, I don't know, 30 1000. And the destination, any port really, protocol, let's say it's going to be a TCP. The interface that we want this to work on is exclusively the eth0. Logging new connections or all packets. I'll just put it to none and then create, except I'm not really going to create that and actually I'm not even going to keep this installed. But yeah, it's it's refreshing to know that the firewall configuration works with UFW. That's a really easy, quick way to get a, a good, apparently, firewall running on your Slackware box, uh, with a, a nice graphical configuration, which, which I think is great. I, I do kind of feel like, in the past, Slackware has not had great firewall options. I mean, well, I say great. Built-in, it has very much just sort of, like, been... As far as I can remember, it's just, like, here's IP tables. Have fun and like I say, Alien Bob had a great little PHP script that I used for a really long time. Um, that would that would prompt you with certain options and come up with a very very uh, reasonable script to 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 create you know to, to make your your IP chain your your IP table. Um, set to that. So, I used that uh, a a lot for a long time, but it is kind of nice to just have something really easy like this, where you turn it on, it has certain defaults, you can add the rules that you want to add, and it's it's sort of that easy. That's nice to see on Slackware. I know, I mean, other distributions have had that for ages. I mean, UFW has been around for, I don't know how long. FirewallD has been around for a long time. Like, I you know Magia has has always had like a, a an amazing firewalls setting application. Um, it's just yeah, it's 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 been around. It's just that Slackware I don't feel like has really made that a priority in the distribution. Um, you could obviously get you could grab UFW or something easy enough and, and install it especially since slackbuilds.org came around but um it's kind of nice to just kind of see it automatically built in to kde plasma desktop now now i will say though the 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 KCM is highly dependent on other things, so, you know, you, when you first launch it, it'll tell you you can't use it, uh, unless you have UFW installed. So then, once you get UFW installed, now now you have access to it. Oh, but wait, if you want to view your connections, you have to have, uh, you know, IP Route 2 or something like that. So, th- there, there are weird cascading dependencies that you kind of have to resolve, and then resolve, and then resolve, and finally you'll get a, a very complete kind of feeling firewall interface. So just be aware of that. That, you know, if, if, if you're headed out and, and you think, oh, I've got no problem, I've got Firewall right here on my Plasma desktop, launch it before you go out if this is the first time, and, and just make sure that everything's actually set up for, for success. Um, it's not something that you're gonna launch and then realize, oh my gosh, I needed 30 other applications to be installed before this is actually useful for me. Uh, That's it, I think, for this episode. Thanks f- for listening. I'll talk to you next time. return to our tale of tomorrow, Blunder.